0: Hello, and welcome to the inaugural podcast of Collective Voices for Diabetes, Partnering for Prevention and Management, a production of NACDD. I'm your host, Dr. Tamara Demko, an independent public health consultant with NACDD. We hope this show will inspire listeners to advance their diabetes prevention and management efforts through ideas, solutions, and approaches shared by featured guests. Through intimate and dynamic conversations, Together, we will uncover innovative public health practices, collective approaches, and unique achievements in the field of partnerships for diabetes prevention and management. We hope our listeners feel a sense of community through meaningful discussions with people and organizations who are finding success in working together to prevent diabetes. Today, we will hear how Tennessee has used a collective action model, partnerships, and innovation to keep its diabetes work going strong during the COVID-19 pandemic. Tennessee was one of 14 states featured in NACDD's Collective Impact and Action Report for its progress in advancing the National Diabetes Prevention Program, or National DPP for short. Joining us is Lisa Kosak, Program Director of Family Health and Wellness and Chronic Disease Prevention with the Tennessee Department of Health, and Mackenzie Leonard, Community Engagement Coordinator with Emory Centers for Public Health Training and Technical Assistance at the Diabetes Training and Technical Assistance Center, or DTAC. Welcome, Lisa and Mackenzie. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Let's get started by talking a little bit about partnerships. In March of 2018, Tennessee participated in a state engagement meeting. It's a multi-day meeting to gather and work with partners to advance the national DPP. State engagement meetings use collective action and the NACDD-CDC state engagement model. Lisa, can you tell us a little bit about how the state engagement meeting impacted Tennessee's efforts to implement the National DPP's lifestyle change program?
1: Sure. The Tennessee Department of Health worked with NACDD and CDC to facilitate our very first DPP STEM two-day meeting in 2018. Day one was just an overview of what DPP is and how stakeholders across our state can assist with our DPP efforts. On day two, NACDD broke us into four pillars surrounding DPP efforts, awareness, availability, screening, testing, referring and coverage and reimbursement. And breakout groups identified the priorities set for each pillar. After the meeting, these pillar groups met monthly, but over time they kind of lost momentum. So in 2019 at our second STEM meeting, which was facilitated by DTAC, the goal was to reengage work and change the approach from meeting by pillars to meet by regions in Tennessee. Tennessee is divided by three regions, East, Middle, and West. And this allowed Tennessee to customize our priorities by region, and each regional group defined their own priorities and began working towards those goals.
0: That's really great. You also made some advancements in partnerships in general. The NACDD 2020 Collective Impact and Action Report says that you engaged or strengthened relationships with about 40 partners uh, through the state engagement model and state engagement meeting. Can you tell us a little bit about those key partners who played a role in moving your action plan forward?
1: Absolutely. UT Extension is providing DPP in the East region and is wanting to expand their DPP into other counties. Our county health departments are now setting to offer the DPP program. Some of our universities are promoting DPP to non-traditional providers like registered dietitians and dental hygienists, and they also plan to educate medical students on the DPP. In the West, the Tennessee Business Coalition is helping identify employers and payers to increase coverage of DPP, and our Tennessee Coalition for Better Health helped to engage a care MCO to cover DPP, and they will be piloting the program this year.
0: That's great. Mackenzie, you were a key partner. DTAC was a key partner. What was DTAC's experience with the state engagement model and action planning in this process?
2: Yeah, so our role really just focused on continuing that amazing work done at the initial STEM meeting, providing support to the Tennessee Department of Health and getting those regional coalitions built up um, and identifying a lead for each of those coalitions so that it's someone on the ground who can really carry that work forward, and then scheduling monthly meetings with the coalitions, kind of building the uh, membership for each of those coalitions. So looking to see in the state who attended the STEM meeting, would, who would want to be a part of these coalitions, and then who are some other untapped partners that weren't involved at the STEM, but might be great to bring in. And then just each meeting monthly, just kind of building that consensus, checking in on the action plans that were created at STEM. And figuring out if there's some new priorities, just kind of figuring out where to take action first and get some traction going to allow the work to carry forward. It sounds like
0: a lot of important work was done with action planning and partnership engagement. Lisa mentioned this before, but... I wanted to get your perspective on it too, Mackenzie. So it sounds like in June of 2019, this major decision was made to divide Tennessee state into its national DPP action plan regions, the three grand regions, west, middle, and east. This sounds like a really unique idea. How did it come about?
2: Well, essentially, during kind of an open forum and discussion, we started to hear from the STEM partners that, hey, You know, the pillars are great, but we think it might be more valuable to split up in our regions because we're already kind of geographically uh, split up that way in the state, and we're used to working that way, and a lot of our programming is kind of centralized by those regions. We heard that it might be easier if we can leverage the partners and the resources we already have rather than trying to work across uh, this really big state. Tennessee is very long. And so we decided to make that happen, just listen to the group and kind of went from there and, and formed those coalitions.
0: How has it been working with those three Grand Regions separately? Are there opportunities to collaborate across the regions?
2: It's been really great. And it's been fun to see how each region has taken their own approach on the pillars. So even though they're not oriented around those four pillars, they end up kind of doing it all. So, you know, in in East Tennessee, we'll see they're doing awareness activities and working on availability. And then maybe West Tennessee is working on awareness and coverage. So it's kind of neat to see how they're able to ebb and flow within the pillars. And then, you know, at each of those monthly meetings, we make sure that we keep them in the loop. So we let Middle Tennessee know what East Tennessee is doing, and East Tennessee tells West Tennessee what they're doing. So just kind of keeping each other in the loop. We also have a SharePoint website where resources that are developed between the coalitions all can live and be accessed online so that they can kind of, you know, not have to reinvent the wheel and and use what each other makes. And then finally, we do meetings with the leadership of each of the regional coalitions so that just the leads get together and they talk about what they've been working on and what they need help with and where their challenges are and opportunities. Uh, So we try to do that from time to time as well.
0: It sounds like you gathered all three Grand Regions together in the middle of 2020 to look at work being accomplished by the regions, and you did a presentation on the silver linings of COVID for diabetes prevention in Tennessee. We don't often think of COVID as
1: having silver linings, so I'm, I'm curious. Can you tell us a little bit more about that meeting? Sure. In the 2020, STEM brought together our regional partners to report on the work being done and to reflect on living with the adversity brought on by COVID and turning it into an opportunity. They spoke about the work that was able to be done despite the pandemic issues, keeping diabetes prevention at the forefront. We had a panel of DPP providers who shared their creative ways that they implemented or continued their programs during COVID. For example, UT in East Tennessee transitioned from in-person to virtual using Zoom with Senior Center participants. And it was a rocky start, but eventually the Senior Center participants loved it. It was a way to get social with folks they haven't seen in a while. Gibbs Pharmacy, did a hybrid approach to continue their program, offering classes using Zoom and in-person, using those social distancing and masks for participants. The three regional coalitions also shared the diabetes prevention work they were able to accomplish during COVID. Our Middle Tennessee group conducted a DPP survey about the impact of COVID on the delivery of DPP programs, and they wanted to assess the new DPP landscape that has occurred because of COVID. In the East, they created an educational handout for providers promoting DPP and still continued their outreach to those folks. And in the West, they were engaging non-traditional providers to promote DPP. And they also developed one of those informational sheets for providers about the benefits of DPP for their patients. And it also promoted screening, testing, and referring as well.
0: That's amazing. I would really love to hear more about your outreach to people in Tennessee's communities who need it the most. Why don't we approach that by talking a little bit about Tennessee's efforts to implement the action plans collectively. How has Tennessee worked to raise awareness about pre-diabetes and the National DPP Lifestyle Change Program? Can you tell us about a couple of your successes?
2: Sure, yeah, there's been some really exciting work being done. Especially during a pandemic, the fact that so much of this work was able to continue is really amazing. But just a few successes to highlight, East Tennessee did some really neat work with their local health departments. A few of those folks sit in on our coalition calls. And so uh, we were kind of asking, is there any way we can get the word out about pre-diabetes, especially during COVID? And one of our members said, yeah, I can get our health department to put it up on our digital marquee in front of the building. And it'll say, know your risk for prediabetes. And then also offered to put up a sandwich board at their COVID testing site so that people could get the link for the prediabetes risk quiz. So that was really a, a creative way to kind of spread that awareness. I think similarly, like increasing the availability of the program, we've had a lot of kind of instances where we've been reaching out to the DPP sites in Tennessee and saying, you know, hey, how's your DPP going? How have you reacted and and shifted and pivoted during COVID? What resources do you need? What gaps are you experiencing? So we did a lot of data collection, actually, with our Middle Tennessee group to figure out what's going on, what do DPPs need? And in West Tennessee, we actually mapped out where are all the DPP sites in the region as a way to start figuring out what could we provide these DPPs right now, because so much has shifted in the past year that what they need now could be very different than what they needed two years ago. And so a lot of that availability work has just been figuring out where are the sites and how are they operating and how are they reaching people so that we can then try to fill in those gaps as the coalitions. That's a lot of
0: logistics to consider, but amazing work. The Collective Impact and Action Report also notes that there are efforts to expand Tennessee's work in screening, testing, and referral. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Sure. One of the members of our East STEM coalition submitted an article for the Tennessee Academy of Family Physicians Journal. The article included an overview of what the DPP is and promoted screening, testing, and referring to family physicians. And that article was published in the winter 2021 issue. Our STEM group members still continue their outreach to providers in their geographical areas, and they promote the DPP and promote, promote, promote that screening, testing, and referring. Sometimes also offering information of where the DPPs are located in their areas. Our universities are promoting DPP to non-traditional providers in their curriculum, like the dental hygienist students and the registered dietitians. and they're educating their medical students. So when they go out and start their practices, they'll know about this program and know that it benefits patients. And we at the state health department have been presenting to the UT Memphis nurse practitioner grad students about DPP. And we promote screening testing and referring to them as future healthcare providers.
0: That is amazing. What about coverage? What advancements has Tennessee seen with coverage?
1: Well, each of the regions has the priority populations that they want to focus on in the West. They're focusing on outreach to African-American and Latino populations. In our East region, focuses on the senior populations. And in Middle Tennessee, their focus is reaching out to those rural populations. So that's gonna be some good work there.
0: That is great work and really exciting that Tennessee is moving the needle on national DPP across the state. I wanted to shift the conversation a little bit to the COVID-19 pandemic, and Tennessee has just been thriving in the midst of this pandemic, but I'm sure it's made everything a little bit more challenging. So has the public health emergency made addressing all these populations more challenging in any way?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it depends on broadband access and how comfortable someone is with technologies that are the major concerns during COVID. Some of our rural areas have limited internet access and some of our senior populations may not have the technology skills to log on to a computer and get into a platform. And when we did our um, DPP COVID survey about the program delivery Um, The responses showed that the majority of the DPPs who switched from in-person to virtual said that it was successful and they were able to continue their DPP programs during COVID. Some of the DPPs maybe were not so interested or did not have the resources to do the virtual program, so they decided to postpone their in-person work until the restrictions started to ease And within our STEM groups, some of our members and even some of the lifestyle coaches were pulled into COVID response full time, and that impacted their STEM availability and work. It slowed down our work, but as the restrictions start to ease, we'll get back on track and, and continue what we started.
0: Do you use any specific virtual program offerings or platforms? And has the public health emergency impacted which ones you've chosen?
2: Yeah, so there's several DPPs in Tennessee who use a virtual platform. Even before COVID, they were using one. For example, state employees in Tennessee, they can access DPP through Omada or Livongo through their health insurance. But certainly we saw a lot of DPPs transition to distance learning during COVID and had a lot of success with using Zoom and just still kind of feeling like you're part of a class even though you're far apart. Actually, some DPPs, when we did kind of a survey to see how they're doing, they said that they had greater retention and attendance through Zoom because there's less barriers, so to speak, to logging on to a call rather than driving to the YMCA, for example. But certainly some DPPs, you know, that wasn't the case, especially as Lisa mentioned, if you have broadband um, access challenges, you know, it's it's not going to be easy to get onto a call. So I think really saw a variety and it sounds like from a lot of these DPPs that hybrid models of doing, you know, Zoom and in person or a virtual platform and in person will be here to stay and that DPPs are going to be looking at kind of creative models to make sure that they can reach audiences in the best way they can uh, in the state.
0: That's really great. To get Back to silver linings and that concept for a moment, what opportunities does Tennessee see for diabetes prevention in this time of COVID-19?
1: That's a great question. Having to have to transition into the virtual space. Our DPPs realize that there's a potential for offering distance learning or online delivery of DPP that can actually increase the availability of DPP to large geographic areas. In addition to that, it's also an opportunity to now be able to reach more at-risk populations in the safety of their own homes during COVID. And what we saw from the survey that we conducted that some of the DPPs will be using a hybrid model using virtual and in-person moving forward. So that's more reach, more availability, more accessibility. It's again, a silver lining.
0: Those are some amazing opportunities. And it sounds like Tennessee has been taking advantage of all of them, which is is wonderful. I know some states are struggling though during this time of COVID-19 and Lisa, I was wondering if you could give a piece of advice to a state that is struggling to scale and sustain the national DPP, what would that be?
1: Yes. If you feel like you're struggling, find partners to divide and conquer the work that needs to be done. When we lost momentum, we hosted another STEM meeting. We re-energized our stakeholders. And what we did was we got their input as to how they see DPP work and what priorities they recommended. Because they're the ones that know their communities and know what their needs are. Tennessee has done
0: so much work collectively and in the regions. Out of all of this work, what would you say you're proudest of?
1: Oh gosh, I'm proud of all the things that they've accomplished, but truly proud of our partners that participate in each of our regional coalition groups. They come consistently and they move work forward. They may be small in the numbers, but they are large in their commitment and effort and passion about preventing diabetes in Tennessee. And it comes across with everything they do.
0: That is truly a great accomplishment. On this podcast, we're looking for ways that our listeners can apply with their hearing in their own states and situations. If you could give one piece of advice to other states based on your success of advancing the national DPP, what would that be? Mackenzie, let's start with you.
2: I'd say celebrate and focus on the small wins because the small wins lead to those big wins. And this STEM work is big, it takes a lot of efforts and time to make it happen. And it's always that chicken or the egg you're trying to figure out well, should we? increase the number of DPPs we have, or do we need to do more screening and referrals to the current DPPs we have? And how do we all the while make sure that this program is sustainable and affordable to people? So it's that constant tug and pull of trying to figure out where to focus, what to work on. But when you do make a little progress in one area, it opens up so many more opportunities. And if you just keep sticking with it and and trying different things and reshifting and, and flipping things up on its side to try something new, I think that really can make the difference. So stick with it and I would just say that it's it's really worth it.
0: Thank you. Lisa, how about you?
1: Yes, I have two pieces of advice. For your coalition work and your work groups, having a strong lead is key to get the work done and the activities moving forward. And number two is just realize that priorities can change based on circumstances, and we saw that with COVID. So as the circumstances change, just remember, go with it, move with it, and keep your work moving forward. Those are amazing pieces
0: of advice. Small steps, big impact, leadership, flexibility, those are all ideas to really take to heart. And for our listeners, they can be applied in your state and local communities to help advance a national DPP prevent diabetes and address prediabetes. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much to our special guests, Lisa Kosak from the Tennessee Department of Health and Mackenzie Leonard from DTAC, who shared with us their amazing work in diabetes prevention achieved through engaged partners and collective action. We really appreciate all of our listeners who took 30 minutes out of their day to listen to this pilot series episode of the Collective Voices for Diabetes Partnering for Prevention and Management podcast. Do you think that verbal storytelling is an effective way for NACDD to support state diabetes prevention and management efforts? If you found value in listening to these stories from Tennessee, please let us know by liking or sharing the episode on SoundCloud, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. You can also send us a quick note at NACDD .diabetes at chronicdisease.org. Hearing from you will help us determine if podcasting is a valuable method for showcasing diabetes prevention and management efforts on a national scale. Find show notes with links and more information from our conversation with Lisa and Mackenzie at www.chronicdisease.org backslash diabetes. Join us next time for another pilot series episode of Collective Voices for Diabetes Partnering for Prevention and Management, a production of NACDD. We will continue Tennessee's story and hear from the three grand regions. I'm your host, Dr. Tamara Demko, signing off for now. By partnering and using our voices collectively, we can prevent and manage type two diabetes.